So, good morning and welcome again. Um, you know, I, I really love being here on a Sunday morning. I just love being part of um, with here, here with all of you. And um, Stephanie is following on from what Stephanie has just been saying. I really enjoy the ways that I'm able to be involved here on a Sunday morning in, in various different, um, doing different things. And you know that sometimes I will serve coffee. And, and that's great because you get to speak to um, all the people at least that come and have a cup of coffee. Um, one of the other things I like to do is stand on the door. Because again, you get to say hello to everybody, apart from the people obviously that sneak in through the back. Um, <laughs> but everyone that comes in the front door, you get to say hello to. But it's not just church people, um, because you get to see people. Some people go across and along the street and they express a bit of an interest, and uh, others come in looking for a coffee shop by mistake, and uh, you, know, you sometimes get to have a chat with these people. And that's really good. If you do get into conversation, there's some, something that, a question that often comes up. And they'll say, well, what sort of church are you? What sort of church are you? Now, that's a really good question, isn't it? Um, I've got a sort of an answer which I tend to use. It's not great, but it's, it's quite difficult, isn't it? Because if you're talking to people that have no conception, perhaps, of even what a church is. Where do you, where do you start? And you know that really they're not looking for anything in great depth. Um, so how do you do that succinctly? It's, it's quite hard. So uh, what sort of church are we here? What makes us distinctive? That's, I think, a good question to be pondering over the next week. Sometimes I go to gatherings, to meetings, where there are people from other church backgrounds, and you get talking with them, and the same question will come up there as well. What sort of church do you belong to? Well, in that context, it's a little bit easier. Um, because they have a bit more sort of, we have a bit more common language and so on. Um, and so in that kind of context, probably the word charismatic would come up somewhere in my answer. And they would have some kind of idea of what I meant. Um, but I think if I use that word to somebody that's walking down the street, I would probably get a blank look. Um, or possibly, if they thought about it a bit, they might think that I'm trying to describe us as a church of very charming people. Which, no, that might, might be appropriate. Um, if you were to look at that word and, and try and break it down a bit, you might see the word charis there at the beginning. Charis, the Greek word for grace. And so if you sort of built on that, you might think, well, perhaps I'm describing us as a church of people that are full of grace. And that would be a really good description, wouldn't it? And I hope that we could say that was true of us here, people full of grace. But it isn't what the word means. The actual root of that word, charismatic, is charismata, um, not a, a word that is very common at all. Um, but I looked it up on um, Wikipedia, and uh, actually I think the, the, um, the definition that was given there was really good, so I'm going to read that to you. It describes charismata as an extraordinary power given by the Holy Spirit. And these are believed by followers to be supernatural graces which individual Christians need to fulfill the mission of the church. So charismatic church, then, is one where the individuals have received the gift of power given by the Holy Spirit so they can fulfill the mission of the church. Oh, that's a really good definition from Wikipedia. Am I right to use that as a description of us as a church? Well, I think I am. So what I'm going to be saying this morning isn't going to be anything new for many of you. Maybe for some it will be. Um, you know, I'm not trying to lead us today in a new direction, but what I am trying to do is just to stir us again. You know, I think it's easy 
to become comfortable, isn't it? It's something we all will tend to do. Um, but I want to encourage us this morning again to look forward, to, um, to move forward, to desire for more, to seek for more. So if we are already a charismatic church here at Beacon, well, let us seek to become more charismatic. So as I started to prepare for this message this morning, I kept getting drawn to one particular verse. It just seemed to me just very obvious, and I just you know, couldn't get away from it. Um, but at the same time, it's a verse that I didn't really want to speak on, and, and I'll give the reasons for that a bit later on. So I'm going to read the passage, but before I do that, um, the more observant amongst you will notice that this is the same passage that Norbert spoke on a couple of weeks ago, and you know you always get a sinking feeling when somebody else speaks on the passage that you've already planned to speak. But anyway, what Norbert said was really good, and I do encourage you to listen to it if you haven't heard it already. And there's one image that he used that I thought was particularly helpful, and it's really stayed with me, and I've pondered on it over the last uh, week or two. So he likened having the Holy Spirit in us, as we read about in Romans chapter 8, to being like a pregnant lady, a pregnant mother. She changes what she does, what she eats, how she lives, for the sake of the baby that is, is inside her. He said... If the baby wants pizza, then the mother will eat pizza. You might remember that. But he said, it's like that with us. So we should live not according to our own desires, but according to the desires of the Holy Spirit in us. So in all of what we do, what we, what we watch, what we read, what we think, what we do, we should be seeking to orientate our desires with the desires of the Holy Spirit. And that is so important now, as we think on this theme of, of, the, of the Holy Spirit coming um, and being with us and God pouring out his Holy Spirit, we need to remember that we aren't passive bystanders in this. We need to submit to God and we need to submit our desires to his desires. And I think that is one of the key ways that we will open ourselves to receiving more from God. So, okay, so I'm starting, as I say, with the same passage that Norbert spoke on, but we were going a different way with it this morning. So let's then read Acts chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first eight verses. So in my first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. And I'm going to read um, verse 37 of chapter 2 as well. 
And Peter said to them, repent. And this is in the context then, the Holy Spirit has come, people have seen, there's a great crowd gathered and Peter is speaking to the crowd. And he says to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So the verse I'm going to focus on this morning is verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the ends of the earth and Samaria. And the reason I've read um, verse 37 of chapter 2 is just to emphasize that this promise wasn't just for the disciples, but it was for everyone that the Lord God calls for all generations, he says. So that includes us. So we here at Beacon can be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive power to be God's witnesses here in Chertsey and through to the ends of the earth. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And it was this word power that I kept coming back to. Because it's kind of a big thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's something tangible, something obvious. Now, the Greek word that is used here is dunamis, and that is where we get our word dynamite from. You know, when dynamite explodes, you notice it's not something that is compatible with everything staying neat and tidy. It's not something that is compatible with everything just staying the same as it always has been. When dynamite explodes, it changes things. It makes a difference. Here in Acts, we see that immediately after the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter then boldly preached to this great crowd, and 3,000 people were converted. Now that's power. In the book of Judges, in the Old Testament, you can read about Samson, and it says there that the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he then went out and defeated an army. Similarly, a few chapters before that, we read about Gideon, and it says that the Spirit of God clothed Gideon. And you know the story. Then Gideon went out with a very small army, and he defeated the great Midianite army. Now, these things were impossible by any human or natural means, but God's power made them possible. See, back into the New Testament again, we see which in, within just a few generations, and despite great opposition... The Christian message had revolutionized the social, the political, and spiritual landscape of the known world. This wasn't something the disciples achieved through their own strength. This was a work of the Holy Spirit through them. This was God's power unleashed. And so the kingdom of God came. And that is why God gives his power so that the kingdom of God can advance. Now, even in the passage we've just read, we see that is the context in which Jesus was speaking. The disciples were asking about the coming of the kingdom, and Jesus' reply was to tell them to wait until the Holy Spirit came, when the promise of the Father came, because when they received the Spirit, then they would have the power to be effective witnesses. They would see the kingdom of God come. 
In Isaiah, in the Old Testament again, chapter 61, we read the familiar verses. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. So this was obviously a prophecy about Jesus. But the disciples and we are to continue the work that Jesus started. See, Act 1 starts in the first book, O Theophilus, and that first book, of course, is the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. In Acts, Luke is describing what Jesus continued to do through the disciples. See, God has promised us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we will have supernatural power to continue the work that Jesus started and to see his kingdom come so that we can see people saved, we can see people set free, we can see people healed. And that's what we want, isn't it? We pray it every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we want it, but we can't do it in our own strength. We need the power of God that comes with the promised Holy Spirit. That's why the disciples were told to wait. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. But waiting is hard, isn't it? And we might wonder whether we need to. Haven't we already received the Holy Spirit I mentioned earlier that I was reluctant to speak on this passage, and the reason really revolves around these two points, the waiting and the need. Um, So I just thought it'd be helpful just for me to explain why I find these points difficult, because it may be helpful for some of you as well. Okay, so the second point first then. Haven't we already received the Holy Spirit? Well, at one level... The answer is a straightforward yes. If you're a Christian here today, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, without the work of the Holy Spirit, we could never have become Christians. We could never have turned to God. Now, Romans, uh, Paul in Romans chapter 8 is very clear. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. And in the same passage later on, it says, The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. We never would have become children of God without the Spirit of God first working in us. But then this same Paul who wrote these words in Romans, he went to Ephesus, he found some disciples there. And you can read this in Acts 9. He asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit when they believed. They said they hadn't. So Paul laid his hands on them And we read that the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So we're clearly talking about two different things here. However you describe it, filling, baptizing, coming upon, there is a special impartation or gift of God of the Holy Spirit that comes with supernatural power. And it's this that I'm talking about this morning. But even understanding receiving the Holy Spirit in this sense you might well ask, well, haven't we already received? And so that question again, I would say, yes. I believe that many of us here have been filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And of course, at this point, I would like just then say, well, that's okay then, and just move on. But there's a but, and of course there's a but, otherwise I wouldn't have been wrestling with it. I keep asking myself, then where is the power? Where is the power? Now, of course, we have to be careful. Um, uh, what do we, or what do I, mean by the power? What is it that I'm looking for? And Felix helpfully um, reminded us a few weeks ago that we shouldn't be looking for the wrong things. You know, we shouldn't be looking to see the power of God manifested in craziness, for example. We shouldn't be expecting to see a great show or magic tricks. You know, we shouldn't be looking for thrills or for experience. But surely we should expect to see something. As I said earlier, you know, when the power of God is at work, then how can we mistake that? It's not something that can easily be, be mistaken. And things happen when God's power is at work. Well, what sort of things? Well, from this passage and from the passage in Isaiah, I think one of the key things we can expect to see is that we become effective witnesses. We should see people being converted. We should see um, people being healed and set free. The Holy Spirit is given so that we have a supernatural power to see the kingdom of God come. To see things that are naturally impossible become possible. Now, are we seeing these things? Well, again, I would say yes. But a qualified yes, I think. Now, you can understand my hesitation in wanting to bring this because I'm very aware this could come across very negatively. And that really isn't my tent, intent. So to be clear... I believe that God is at work amongst us here at Beacon, both in our gathered times like this and in our broader work through the week. I do believe that God is using us as a church to impact our community in wonderful ways. Now, we as Beacon Church are being a blessing to those around us. Now, if you don't know the things that we're involved with, then speak to somebody afterwards, because I don't have the time to go through the whole list just now. Now, we have a good reputation here in the community as a people who are welcoming and hospitable and ready to serve. We're trusted, we're respected. People come to us sometimes and ask us to do things that we want to do anyway. You know, we are being good witnesses. God is at work, and he is being glorified amongst us. On a Sunday morning, there are those of you who bring prophetic words quite regularly. Others bring words of knowledge. Others faithfully pray for the sick. Others pray and worship in different tongues. You know, God is at work amongst us. And please don't think for a moment that I'm belittling what God is doing. But in Zechariah 4 we read, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And I suppose what I'm trying to say, perhaps clumsily, is that I believe that we are seeing a beginning, but let's not make that see, see that beginning as being the whole thing. Let's give thanks to God for what he is doing. He himself rejoices to see the work begin. But don't you want more? As you read the New Testament... Don't you think there is more to be had? Now, wouldn't you like to see your friends, your neighbours, your family becoming Christians? Wouldn't it be good if we could have a baptismal service here every quarter with people being baptised that weren't even Christians at the time of the last baptismal service? Jesus said to the disciples, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Peter said this promise was for all generations, all that the Lord God calls. So the promise is for us. Do we want more power so that we can be more effective witnesses? I do. And I think that many of you do too. But you know, there is a bit of a problem there. Because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is a gift given by the Father. We can't make it happen. We have to wait, just like the disciples had to wait. And we're not always very good at that. We like to be doing something. I think we, we like to be in control, don't we? But we're not. And as Jesus said to the disciples, it will be in a slightly different context. It is not for us to know the times and the seasons that the Father has set by his authority. Now, we live in a very instant society. It used to be you write a letter to someone, and if you got an answer back within a couple of weeks, you were doing well. Now you see someone send a message on their phone, and they're looking at it five minutes later to see if they've had an answer yet. You know, there are firms that are advertising for same-day delivery if you order things. When we watch the news, we're seeing it live as it happens all around the world. Inevitably, this has an impact on the way we think. We, we come to expect quick results. But speed for God isn't the priority. The one word that is used to describe him is patient. He is willing to wait for the right time. He's not in a rush. And we've got to learn to fall into line with what he is doing and what his ways are. We have got to learn to be patient. We've got to learn to trust God. Because otherwise we can be prone to disappointment and that can really eat away at us. So this is a bit of a sort of personal testimony. When I was in my teens, early 20s, there was a real expectation in the church that God was on the verge of doing um, a new thing. There were prophecies of imminent revival. We were encouraged to hold everything lightly because we had to be ready to bring in the great harvest which was just about to come. Now, I should say, I think the essence of what was being said there was right and scriptural. But what I saw and what I experienced over the subsequent years didn't match the expectations that had been built in me. And I think it was the expectation that was wrong because God has been at work, but not perhaps in the way that I thought. And the result of that, for me, was disappointment. And disappointment can be corrosive. For me, it caused me to have real doubts about whether God was really going to do as he had promised. And that's not a good place to be. And I would like to say that is all now in the past. But the reality is, for me, it's an ongoing battle. I have to choose to say that I will trust God. It's an act of the will to hold on to the promises and the truths of the Bible. So with that background, you can understand that you know, I was hesitant to bring this word today because I know that taken wrongly, it has the potential to cause difficulty. But this is God's word. And we can't just skip the bits that we find challenging. We can't look at a verse and say, well, that doesn't match my experience, so it must be wrong. It's me and my understanding and my expectation that has to be shaped by what the Bible says. And it might be that there are some of you here today that can relate to some of what I've been saying. And if so, I want to encourage you, revive those dreams that you once had of what God might do. Now, we don't know the times and the seasons. We don't know the details of God's plans, but we do know the overall desire of God's heart, that his kingdom 
would come, that all people would come back to him. We know his promise, that he has promised to give his Holy Spirit, to give power, to enable his people to be witnesses. So if your desires and your dreams are in tune with this, then don't give up on them. Keep asking God for more of his Holy Spirit. And in the meantime, keep persevering in doing good. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So how to conclude? You know how sometimes you get a bit of grit in your shoe when you're walking, and it's quite difficult to ignore, and sooner or later you have to stop, take your shoe off, and get the grit out. Well, I think that's kind of what I'm trying to do this morning. Put a bit of grit in your shoe. See, I want us to ask these questions. What does it look like for us as individuals and as a church to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with power? Have we already seen and experienced this in its fullness or can we expect more? Even if we do believe that we can expect more, do we want more? Or are we happy to settle with what we have? And if we do want more, what can we do about it? So these are questions I just want to plant and encourage you to think about. I hope that our conclusion will be, yes, we do want more. And if that is our conclusion, what can we do? Well, just a few suggestions just to start. First, we can continue to ask our Father, who delights to give good gifts to his children, to ask and keep asking. Second, we can do as Norbert encouraged us, to submit to God and daily to seek to align our wills with his. We can't expect to receive from God if we are acting against him. And then we have to wait, not passively, but let us keep on doing what God has called us to do, always in the hope and the expectation that God will act. See, God is already at work amongst us here, and he is working through us to bring blessing to our community. God rejoices to see the work begin, and we should rejoice too. But let's look for more. <laughs>